Hello and welcome to Sunday Refocus, a conversational podcast that aims to empower emerging creatives in the fashion industry. We are on a journey to help you refocus your path towards greater heights. I'm your host, Nefemi Ashani, the founder and CEO of Style by Nif, and this is a Style by Nif production. Today, I have the immense pleasure of welcoming a powerhouse in the fashion industry, y'all, Biagi Zelinsky. Biagi Zelinsky founded the celebrated Le Amour de Styliste, a clothing altier in New York City that brought the works of trailblazing designers to the attention of the world's leading stylists and image makers, such as the styling teams of Madonna, Rihanna, Lady Gaga, and Beyonce. She continued styling her own clients with her work being published by magazines including Vogue, Elle, Le Official, Harper Bazer, Sean, and Cosmopolitan. Her editorial work led to several appointments to style incredible talents, including Missy Elliott, Gigi Hadid, Zoe Kravitz, Pharaoh Williams, Tony Braxton, Tara Banks, and so much more. She has also held positions including creative director at several e-commerce platforms and style director at Zalando and fashion director at several magazines. Biagi, Biagi, how are you? How are you doing today? Welcome. Loving the enthusiasm. Yes, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I was just letting everybody know who you are, you know, give a little introduction. So I would, I'll, I would like to give the, the mic back to you. Can you tell us about your early years and what inspired you to pursue the successful career that you have today as a creative director and fashion stylist? I'll be honest, I never had any other aspirations or interests other than working in fashion. Um, I think I told my mom what college I was going into when I was like seven. And, you know, I saw it somewhere on TV. Like most kids would watch cartoons and I would watch the fashion channel. So like that's literally what I would watch when I was a kid, you know. My mom would have to literally yell at me and chase me out the house and be like, go play with other kids, like go play with friends. And then I would go to my friend's house and I would sit in the corner and ignore them and I would just sketch and draw. And that's, you know, what I did. That was, that was just always, you know, when Lady Gaga says born this way, like I believe that. Like I, I really think that you're born one way or you're born another way. There are obviously some people who are, you know, they don't know what they're going to do with their life. But I was one of the people who was born with no other concept of anything else happening other than fashion, fashion, fashion. Um, I think in the very beginning, I don't know if I, if I knew if I wanted to be a designer or a stylist. I didn't know what a stylist was back then, but um, I knew I wanted to work in fashion. Like, that's all that I knew. And um, that's kind of, you know, what, uh, what I always wanted to do and, and what I did. And, you know, when I, when I finally ended up going to college, my, my mother and I had a bit of a struggle because I only applied to one school because I just knew again fashion is the only option for me and you know my mom is Haitian that's not a career for you know Haitian parents like that's that's a game that you play that's a fun thing that you do on the side but like that's not a career so she refused to pay for it and she refused to sign off on it and so we had a little bit of a game of chicken who was gonna back down first and then you know I won eventually (laughs) that game and I studied fashion. Wow, that is so inspiring. And I feel like, you know, your stories like many other like immigrants as well, where we tell our parents we're going to do fashion and it's like, um, excuse me, what? 
<laughs> so I totally, totally relate to that. And I love your tenacity in like, you know what, this is where I want. I see my future here. And you just drove in. And I'm so happy that you chose the the path that you're in right now because you have done so much so so much and it's such an inspiration to speak to somebody like you who has so much strength and and meets in the game you know i would like to know what school did you attend so that we can all know um the school or maybe you have your favorite uh, fashion school that you want to throw out there i i regret actually not going to central st martin central st martin is where i always wanted to go in london um but i ended up going to the fashion institute of technology for that first year, while my mom and I were duking it out, I started off at a community college. I started off going to Kingsborough College, and it was because she refused to pay for FIT. But I found out that the Kingsborough College had a program correlated to FIT. So once you complete your two years, you can continue on at FIT. And so I basically tricked her into letting me go there until I was able to get her to just pay for FIT. And that's what I did. Wow. You have done so much. Like your work has been yes. featured in Vogue and Elle, which is such a significant achievement. A lot of people aspire to see their stuff in Vogue, right? So when working on editorial projects um, for this magazine, what would you say is like your creative process or technique that you use to bring your unique vision to life? Well, first I would say... My creative process is the same no matter who the client is, no matter if it's a major magazine, if it's a smaller magazine, if it's a celebrity client, or if it's, you know, an e-commerce client. My, my, my method of working is always the same. And essentially, it's I trust my gut. So I figure out what the brief is, whatever that might be. If I need to create the brief, I just kind of go into it feeling, really. It's, it's not so much thinking, but it's more how do you feel it's, it's very much to do with in here and not up here mm. um, the details the logistics that comes from up here but the creation of the mood boards the deciding um, you know what brands I'm gonna pull in that comes from here usually you know if I already have a mood board I'll look at it and usually it'll evoke some sort of a feeling whether that be music uh, or a location it doesn't always spark a feeling of me knowing the clothing right away. Sometimes it takes me, you know, around in a loop. And then once I figure out, oh, it, it inspired me to think of Evanescence, you know, for lack of a better term. Um, oh, what does that song, you know, make me feel? I'll actually start playing the song. I'll play Evanescence. What does that make me feel? Oh, I, f I feel like a lot of black, a lot of dark colors, spikes. And then I'll start going through Vogue.com and I'll start going through the runways. And I'll literally just scroll through every single runway of the season until I get a connected feeling. So now I'm connected with the mood board, connected with the music, connected with that look. And it starts with that look and then everything else gets built around that look. That's very inspiring. So then within that, how do you ensure that you maintain originality while like you know meeting the expectation of the audience or the magazine never think of anyone's expectations anyone's not the client not the magazine not the especially not the audience their expectations their what they want to see is none of my business because the reality is the reason that they're looking at my work is because they already know a pattern from me. Mm. And if I start thinking about other people's thoughts and ideas and emotions, that pattern will be lost. 
So mm. that's why you have a signature. You know, you get your signature by not thinking about other people. Um, you really have to stay true to yourself. And it's one of the reasons why I don't follow a lot of other stylists that I don't know. Um, I don't follow a lot of other stylists work that I don't know. Um, because I don't want to be overly influenced by anybody else's work. I want to maintain my own influence. That being said, I follow a lot of other things, you know, photographers, artists, painters, mm -hmm. um, interior decorators, these other things and influence me in, you know, in other ways. But I think that the, the, it's really important actually to never think of the audience while you're creating. Yeah. Once you're editing and once you're, you know, putting together the finished product, that's when you start thinking about the audience. That's when you start thinking about the brand DNA, what fonts to use, what colors to use, et cetera. But when you're in the organic creating process, you really have to stay true to yourself and you cannot think of those other people in that moment. You know, somebody else might do it another way. Yeah. And there's a thousand ways to do it. I'm not saying this is the only way to do it, but this is, this is how I work. Yeah, no, I actually like that perspective because I feel like for me, that's something that when I'm creating, I try not to be on social media. Or when I'm in the process, like I need to do my research. I'm like, okay, social media is not the place. When you go there, you're influenced by so much, and it just alters your the the original idea that you had, and you you start to kind of slip away slowly, slowly. The more that you're on the platform, so for me, I connect to that in that sense. Like when when I'm doing my research or trying to create the concept, I take my time away from social media to just make sure, like, okay this is what it is for me. This is the original concept. Let's run with it. So I connect with you in that sense, for sure. It's really good that you have that like understanding. Cause I feel like a lot of times, like when you look at inspiration, a lot of people say, Oh, I need to go on Instagram to get inspired or Pinterest and, and stuff like that. So it's like the original idea stems from somebody else instead of like, okay, what is it for me? And then maybe expanding it from like, okay, what has been already done? Exactly. I think another really big issue with like going to Pinterest or, or Instagram for me um, is not only are you being overly inspired by someone else, but a lot of times people's first gut reaction is to redo what's already been done. There's redo it all together. Let's recreate this moment. There's, there's a, a really interesting video going around on Instagram and it's a bunch of images and then how it correlates to a Janet Jackson video. And essentially, her video is each of those images recreated. Now, a lot of people love that. I personally was put off by it because essentially what they did was they found beautiful imagery and they redid it and made it into a video. Instead of saying, this is a beautiful image, these are beautiful looks, let's be inspired. How could we take this further? How could we do this similarly, but not the same? But when she made the video, it was exactly the same. It was those exact photos in video. So that's another thing that you have to be really careful about when you are getting inspired by things that already exist is you might even do it completely subconsciously, but you will end up recreating what you just saw. And that's dangerous. Mm. It's not, it, it's not even helping your own creativity. Yeah. Um, it's not helping anyone. This might be a very unpopular, like, opinion or question that I want to ask. Like, how do you feel about, like, TikTok trends? You know, we, ha we see a lot of fashion <laughs> your face. Yeah, I have no idea. I do not. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't visit TikTok for trends. I don't know what's on there. I have no idea what's going on. When I visit TikTok, what do I look on TikTok? I'm, I'm looking at, like, reality show TV recaps. <laughs> That's all that I see on my TikTok for you page yeah. is like love is blind recaps oh and things like that. Love is blind. Um, <laughs> I, I, I 
It's not even on my For You page. I have no idea. Yeah. No, that... Because going back to what you were saying about, like, um, trends and, like, getting inspired, I feel like TikTok is a place where a lot of fashion people are just sharing their content and you're seeing a lot of the same things recreated so i was like oh let me let me let me get your opinion but i guess you're not even on that platform really like that <laughs> so that's totally fine it's interesting you bring this up because i actually so i'm in a chat with a, a bunch of other stylists and that topic came up just this week about when you have an idea and then somebody else sort of does the idea or comes out with the idea um you know is it stolen or anything like that and i think I saw a really interesting uh, quote recently that I think better explains it rather than the theft of an idea. And essentially it was saying, you know, you know, ideas are given to you from wherever they come from. And if you're too afraid or if you're procrastinating and you don't end up coming out with that idea that you've been blessed with, it will be passed on to someone else mm-hmm. because it's time for that idea to come out whether yeah. it's through you or someone else, that I, that idea will float around wherever in the air <laughs> until it comes to life. So you can either take the opportunity and get it out there, or you can sit on it and you know somebody else might. That being yeah. said, a lot of the reasons why we see a lot of the same ideas coming out is we do all consume the same exact content. You know, if you, if you notice your friend sending you memes and you're like, I saw that already. Yeah, because we're all getting the same stuff. So we're all seeing the same content in a different order, maybe on a different day, but we are all seeing the same exact thing. And yeah. so we'll be inspired in a very similar way, yeah. which is another reason why I do not visit Instagram when I'm trying to be inspired. Yeah, um, yeah. It's not an original source at all yeah. in any yeah. way, nor yeah. is TikTok. That being said, there are some talented people there. There are yeah. talents on TikTok and on Instagram. That's just that, you know, they're going to be there. Yeah. Um, it's just really hard to sift through the BS is all I'm going to say. Yeah, no, for sure. And I know you have like styled a wild range of celebrities like Missy Elliott, Gigi Hadid, Pharrell Williams, like all these amazing, amazing, amazing people. And for some aspiring like stylist, this is like a dream list. This is <laughs> right. So styling this diverse range of celebrities requires, you know, a deep understanding of that individual's taste and preferences. Like, how do you adapt your creative style to match their unique personalities of the clients that you that you work with? Depending on the type of work that we're doing together. So if it's like an editorial or if it's a contract that I have with a celebrity, like, you know, a lot of times celebrities will put me under like a contract for a year or two years. And when they do that, um, I will have a lot more time with them up front. And so when I have time with them up front, what I usually do is I go over with them. I don't like to just look up a celebrity and see what they've been wearing because that doesn't mean that that's what they want to be wearing. So I always have a conversation with them and I say, what is your best case scenario completely disregarding sizing, disregarding what designers have turned you down, disregarding money, what person out there do you see and you're like, oh my God, I wish I could look like that. I wish I could wear that. I love this piece. I love this outfit. Whether it's from the, I ask them to just put a a collage together for lack of a better word for me. Mm. Um, And they put that together. Usually it's just like fire off a bunch of images via WhatsApp. That's usually what it is. Um, And that is actually what tells me who they want to be, Mm. not who they've been. Because a lot of times what you see online is not who they want to be it's who they had access to and that's the big difference between 
me coming in and styling someone and maybe someone else just saying, okay, this is what I've seen online and this is what I'm, I'm gonna do for you now again. Um, so I try to figure out who they would ideally want to be. Um, for instance, I had one of my clients who was really well known for like being very sexy and you know wearing belna all the time. And when I had her do that exercise, she didn't want to be that Belmont girl. She wanted to be, you know, sort of more of a Hailey Bieber, Gigi Hadid sort of aesthetic, you know, the baggy Idaho jeans with the crop top, like that was the vibe that she actually wanted, but she didn't have access to it because most of the designers, when they were, you know, requested for that look, they would say, well, no, she's a Belmont girl. She's a sexy girl. We're not, we're not loaning you that. Mm. And so, you know, when I came in, Initially, when I started asking brands, um, you know, those, that was the response that I also got. And I was like, listen, you know me. I know you. We've worked together for a really long time. Trust me when I say I have a year contract with this client. This is what we're working towards. The Belma is out. You are in. I promise you this is the look. And then we move that. We start building that relationship. And then going forward, we build it with more relationships and more relationships. And the job of a stylist, like a lot of people think the job of a stylist is to just like make cool outfits. That's not the job. My job is to actually connect you with that brand that is your end goal. And that's a slow trickling process. I need to connect you with a much smaller brand that has a very similar aesthetic first because they're gonna be more willing to do it. And then we'll go up the ladder case by case by case until we reach your brand goal. Yeah. And that is what a celebrity stylist actually does. It's kind of like you're there like psychologist, like therapist, low key. And that's the beauty of styling that I feel like a lot of people miss that you're not just like dressing them you're helping them really connect to their image and the identity on the deeper level right and i feel like even being a i'm not a celebrity but like you know i could imagine like if you're a celebrity there's already have people already have this idea of who you are right and it's yeah. like how can i break out of that shell and let people know like okay my voice matters even though i have all these million followers, I'm on this show, that movie, I still need to project and show this is who I am. And as a stylist, our work is to really like help them cultivate that and nurture that side so that they can be comfortable. That's the right? really important part is them being comfortable. Yeah. A lot of stylists will come in and say, well, you have this amazing body. You would look great in this, but will this person feel comfortable yeah. in this? Can they give their best performance in this like yeah. you know a lot of the things that a lot of people forget to think about is you know for instance when i'm styling clients for um like a tv appearance like the ellen DeGeneres show um they're going to be sitting on sort of a, a a love seat sort of a couch right so you kind of get really deep mm -hmm. what does that mean no mini skirts that's what that means you know these kinds of things are the things that you have to think about when you're styling a client you have a client with a big bosom that means they have to wear a bra all the time. You can't run around doing strapless all the time. You know, yeah. not only, yes, you can have them built corsets and all of these kinds of things, but will they feel good? Will they feel comfortable? That's the job of the stylist. Um, yeah. Another thing that a lot of people I think forget about is, yes, you have your client that wants to do this look, but you also have their management and you have their production companies mm. that also get, unfortunately a say in this, and it's not always what the celebrity client wants. And so as the stylist, a lot of times you're sort of the liaison between what does management want and what does celebrity want and how can I marry those things and make everybody happy? Because at the end of the day, I assure you, if management isn't happy, no matter if the celebrity likes you or not, you're not getting, you're not getting hired again. It's not happening. So that's also not enough. You also yeah. have to make management happy. And, and again, 
It's not always what your celebrity client wants. And moreover, they will pit you against one another. You know, I've had management companies lie to my celebrity clients because they're the ones who are in contact with, me, with them, not me directly. And so they will lie to the client and you will just not get a phone call again and yeah. wonder what happens. Yeah. So tell me, how do you handle like rejection in the industry? How have you been able to like handle it? And how would you, what advice would you give to aspiring statics? I feel like, you know, the fashion industry is not for the faint hearted, <laughs> you know, it ain't, it ain't for the faint hearted. And one thing I've learned is that you got to have a thick skin. I think that the one thing that I, I always tell people that ask me this question is, it's not personal. And you have to remember that. When someone doesn't call you back for another job, when you're not brought back into the same client again, it is not about you as a person. It is about the work that you produce being right for the client at this moment. Your work might be great for them five years ago, two years ago, five years from now. But at mm. this very moment, for what they need, it is not the right thing. It's not the right synergy. And that is okay. There's a next client. Yeah. There will always be a next client. Yeah. I assure you, there will be. So that's, that's how I've always thought about it. I've never tried to take that personally. Um, that is a part of the game. And if you can't handle that, I do not suggest entering. It's the same as models, you know, who are on a go see and they, you know, 80% of the go sees that they go on, they don't get that. Mm. That's really hard because it's about their actual aesthetic and physical yeah. being. This is not about our physical being. This is about the work that we produce. You have to separate yourself from the work. The work is here and, I, and it's really hard because it's so much of it comes from here, but you have to separate yourself from the work it's not you. No, thank you for that. And I feel like even for me, um, you know, working as a stylist and wanting to get set to works, you know, sending emails here and there, not getting response. I'm just like, what's going on? But like one thing I've learned, not even just from like the industry itself, but just like my upbringing, how my, my mom has even brought me up. I'm like, yo, in this life, you got to be okay with people saying no to you. You got to be okay with the rejections. And I feel like I've even taken that along with me in this, in, in this journey, in this industry. So I feel like I'm not as like, so attached to like, oh my God, this person did this. This person said no. And then you're feeling like the, the world has come to an end. Right. And I feel like a lot of times people learn that once they get in, rather than, oh, I, you should have already kind of known this before, but, you know, everyone's life is yeah. different. So it's good that you've been able to share that. Like, oh, wow, like when you're starting out, be okay with at the beginning, you're going to get a lot of no's. I learned that even long before I was a stylist. You yeah. know, before I was a stylist, I worked in product development. I worked for corporations mm. like Victoria's Secrets and Talbots, and I worked in product development and design. My very first job was with Anna Sui. You know, I learned from a very from the very beginning about how tough this business is and how tough the people in this business are and how um, there's a certain amount of hazing that happens in the fashion industry. And I, and I think through, through going through all of that long before having you know, started styling, that had always prepared me for when I started styling. And I, I don't remember ever having a time where I, where I was taking rejections or not getting callbacks personally. I was just like, ah, oh, getting callback, getting callback. Yeah. Moving on. I would going back to the the way the industry is, why do you think that like 
it is so tough in the way it is. I feel like it shouldn't be that way, but it is. And I remember there was an article recently that came out by Vogue that said like, oh, something along the lines of like, oh, is working in the fashion industry still a thing? And I looked through the comments and the amount of just rage and this disappointment. Be like, no, I switched out of this industry. Like I couldn't handle, people are so catty, like all this kind of stuff. It feels like you're in high school, blah, blah, blah. Just so much. To, I, I was trying to look for a good comment. I was like, something, something to just give hope nothing yeah I, I actually just recently today i think it was today earlier today i even saw a girl on posting a video online very tearful she was working for a designer and you know was sh she quit after three days um it was just so shocked at the the behavior and mm. i don't remember ever being shocked by it i remember really early like really early on a company that i worked for uh when you when you when you started your first day you got like a book and it had all the rules in it and the very first rule in the book is don't look at the designer and, and don't speak to her directly. And you, so this, this designer didn't have a door on her office and her office was connected to our sort of, you know, open space. And then the third rule was don't look into her office. I suggest you put a door on there. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> um, and so you could, you could, you not only could you not speak to her directly, but you had to speak to her assistant. So it, and a lot of times she would come to you and start talking to you and you're like, what do I do? Wow. And then her assistant would show up and you're, and you'd speak to him. And that was my very first job, like out of the gate. And wow. so I knew from day one, okay, this is, this is going to be interesting. This is going to be a little bit of a shit show, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, Something that you build a tough skin for. I'm not gonna lie to you and say that I've never, you know, called my sister from set crying because I have, you know, that has happened. I, I have had clients that I've let drive me insane. Um, and then I have had clients where, you know, when I finally put my foot down, I have had clients that I've said, do not ever call me again. Like, yeah. this is enough. Um, and I think that I had to go through that phase of sort of, the hazing in order to build the backbone to say enough yeah no more and so yeah. i think that everybody i love i would love to say that this is a, this is going to get fixed this is going to change but i don't think it will i think that people think incorrectly that this attitude is a part of being in the business and it's what makes you cool i would also mm -hmm. love to tell you that this attitude doesn't get them anywhere but it does um the more people, I've seen more people who adopt this way of working succeed than not succeed. So I would love to say it's going to change. I would love to say, you know, it's going to be over, but it's, I don't think that. And so I think build your backbone, you know, you're probably gonna have to go through it for a little bit, but once you've got that backbone, cut it off. Like, yeah. you don't have to work for anybody. I don't care what celebrity they are. I don't care how long they've been in the business or how big of a star that they are. You don't have to stand for any of it. Yeah. The industry is the way it is. And even looking at those comments on that, like, Vogue article, I was just like, yeah, this is, like, still persistent. Like, and it looks like it's not going to, to end. And it's, like, kind of the, the cool thing to be is to be sassy and rude <laughs> for some reason, right? So, like you said, I feel like that's, that's a good advice that you have given. It's like, okay, at the beginning, 
it's gonna be tough because you need this job you need this on your portfolio you need it at the beginning but once you get to a place where you know you're able just cut it off cut it off no i i i, I like that i like that i would like to dive into the altier that you had started up in new york la amour du stylist which played a crucial role in bringing the work of trailblazing designers to the forefront how did you first conceive this innovative idea and what were the challenges you faced in establishing in new york because i know when you're wanting to establish a business in new york what i've heard that it's not easy new york is not the place to be like okay i'm gonna go and everything works out like that but you were able to establish this so tell me about you know how the idea came through and what were the challenges you faced in case somebody ever wants to do something similar like that in New York or somewhere else. So uh, la, the showroom was called La Moire de Stilis, mm -hmm. uh, which literally translates to the stylist closet. And um, I literally came up with it because, so I had a, a lot of New York clients that really wanted to wear brands from Europe at the time. Um, because at the time, Europe was more avant-garde in terms of the designs coming out of Europe than what we were having in the U.S. But they didn't want to pay for shipping. So, like, I, I, I don't know what you, like, it's over there. I don't know what you want me to, I, I'm not going to get it. So that, that was the big struggle is they, they wanted the garment, but they didn't want to pay for shipping. So I thought, how can I get the garments, but somehow have shipping covered? And then I thought, well, if I have a rental studio, I can use the garments in my, for my clients. And then I could rent out the garments to other stylists. The designers will get more exposure. At the end of a season, all of the stuff will go back and the shipping is covered. Um, and that's literally how the idea was born. I needed something. And so I, I, I feel the need that I, that I have. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and, I, and I think that with all business ideas, those are the most successful ones. When you have a need, you can guarantee that someone else will have that same need fill the need and the customers will come. And so I opened up the showroom and I focused on avant-garde designers specifically based in Europe, because again, the shipping situation. And one of the early designers that I actually carried while she was still in college was Iris Van Herpen. Uh, yeah, we worked with the teams of Madonna, uh, Rihanna often, Lady Gaga very, very often. A lot. We worked with Lady Gaga from day one to the last day. Like, Lady Gaga was one of our main clients. We worked with Chris Brown's team, Beyonce's team, W Magazine, uh, V Magazine, Vogue Magazine. You name it, you know, they came to us. Um, I think back then things were really different. We didn't have Instagram back then. It wasn't a thing. Um, so there were, you know, we, everything was, it was just very, very different. And so... Uh, there used to be these books, they still exist, but most people don't buy them anymore because they're very expensive. It's called Le Book. And Le Book is these sets of, I mean, they're like this thick, they're these box sets of amazing, beautiful books that have all of the industry contacts in there. So that's like every major photographer, every major agency, uh, PR, if you want to rent a zebra for a photo shoot, it's in there. Like, Anything you would need for a production is in the book. And usually you have to pay, I think it was like $3,000 at the time to be put into the book. I don't know how it happened, but I was in the book. Wow. Not only was Amazing. I in the book as a stylist, but I was in the book for my showroom. And that being, and you know, in that book is what actually just blew up the showroom altogether. Cause I had, you know, clients calling me from like Paris and I'm like, how did you even hear about me? Cause like, again, there's no Instagram. Like we don't have this way of like, 
you know, getting information out there. And people would tell me, yeah, you're in this book, you're in this directory. And I was like, oh, wow, awesome, great to know. Um, and then that's kind of how that blew up. And I had our offices right off of Fifth Avenue on 20th Street in Chelsea. And I'll be honest with you, I never, like people have asked me in the past, because I started the business when I was 25. Mm. And people ask me like, you know, how at your age do you have an office off of Fifth Avenue? And like, how, like how, and what made you think that you could do that? And I, when that person asked me that, it was the first time I ever thought that I couldn't maybe possibly, like it never occurred to me that this mm. was going to be difficult and that maybe I couldn't do it because I was only 25. Like that was never a concept in my mind. Yeah. Um, I just did it. And yeah. I didn't have any family money helping me. I literally went, I got a business loan, had a loan. I designed everything myself. I did the logo. I did all press kits, all press materials. Wow. Um, I, I did press previews during fashion week. I did every single thing myself. Eventually I had my assistants coming in and working with me. But, you know, at the time I had three jobs. I was still working in product development for Victoria's Secrets. I was mm -hmm. still, at that time I was styling America's Next Top Model the entire season. I was only styling Tyra for the season, but I was doing that. And I also had my showroom and I had all three at the same time. Oh. And it just, I feel like you just make it work with like, you know, what we spoke earlier about when you mm -hmm. love this game and you love this business, you just do what you do. Yes. Sleep is not, sleep is not a concern of mine. It's still to yeah. this day, it's not a concern of mine. Um, if it's something that I want to do, I'll just do it. I'll sleep when I'm dead. Like <laughs> that's not an issue <laughs> for me. Call it arrogance if you want, I have no idea what it was, but I just yeah. never considered that I couldn't. couldn't. Like that was never like a thought in my mind. Yeah. And I think like that, that is such a beautiful mindset to have. Cause like a lot of times, like going back to that um, comment, you mentioned how like you can have this idea and God can give you this idea, but if you do not produce or do something with it, it's going to go, this is going to give it to somebody else. That's what usually happens. Right. And you have to have the right mindset to be like, okay, I have this idea. I think I can do it. I know, not even think, I know I can do it. I am going to do it. And you go out and do it. doesn't matter how long it takes. It can take four years, five years, but you're still going to get it done because you know why, you know your why. And I feel like that's very important because a lot of times, I feel like even in the society that we live in right now, I think a lot of people are starting to be a bit soft in taking on the initiative that okay i have this idea i want to do this let me go do this a lot of times like oh yeah i'm just gonna talk to my friends about it let them know i'm thinking about doing this but then like yeah i never went and talked to other people about really anything <laughs> um i think that comes from a lot of, a big part of that comes from you know when you work in this business so much is under embargo you know you cannot talk about 80 percent of your life yeah. because it's just under embargo and so I think I, I developed this weird habit of just not telling people what I'm doing. Like, you know, people would ask me what I'm doing and I'll be like, I'm fine. And that would be it. Meanwhile, I had like 10 projects going on. I was working with major celebrities. We're flying here and there. like, I just, I couldn't talk about any of it. I get nervous about people saying you can't make money in fashion because that is not true. I always want to like make sure that we really clear that air. It's the, you know, it's the same reason I had that fight with my mom when we were going to college. The, the, the idea that you cannot make money with fashion or art is just factually untrue. I have made the exact same 
felt that I was making my salary and my corporate job doing art. I've made the exact same amount that I made in my corporate job just doing styling. It is absolutely possible. You have to have a work ethic that gets you there. Like it's not just gonna fall into your lap and it's not gonna happen through TikTok and it's not gonna happen through Instagram. It's gonna happen through hard work, a good reputation. Let me tell you how that's gonna get you money. Your reputation is gonna get you paid more than anything else on your TikTok or Instagram. Your reputation is gonna get clients to come back. Your reputation is gonna get clients to refer you. Um, being honest, being on time, you know, making sure all your receipts are in. This part that's the non-glamorous part, this is the part that's gonna get you bookings over and over and over again. It's gonna make you money and money and money. And that's what's gonna get you to be able to raise your day rates over and over again. Mm -hmm. um, so that's re it's really important that I establish. I know stylists making two million a year. That is absolutely possible. Yeah. You just have to have the work ethic that goes with it. As a creative director and, and stylist, like, you have to balance the artistic expression with practical business aspects. Because going back to the work that you did with Le Amour, the stylist, right? How do you strike the balance and what advice do you have for emerging creatives trying to manage both aspects? Because a lot of times, like, you know, starting out, you're building your portfolio, right? And you want to just, like, have some work out there. But it gets to a point where you're like, okay, I need to figure out how I'm going to make money. My art, I have the art. I have no issue with expressing myself. But the money and the art ain't adding up. So how do you bring, strike the balance with, with, um, both, with both worlds? I think that one of the realities is because I come from business, you know, I, I come from, you know, the product development background, hey, Kara, that is something that you have to learn separately. You learn the creative in one step and then you learn the business in another step. Don't try to do everything at the same time. Your brain will explode. Take time for each part and then come back and combine them. Mm. When I, you know, learned how to really hone my craft, as I said to you before, I still had my full-time job. That's where my money was coming from. And when I honed my craft and I perfected my craft and I, I built up a client list that allowed me to quit my job, I left my job. And I was, at that point, I was making exactly what my salary was styling. I didn't leave before then. So I set myself up and then I left my full-time job. So then I already had like, what do clients expect of me? What do I need to do to make sure that clients are reoccurring clients? Mm -hmm. um, how do I make sure a client is a reoccurring client? And that's gonna come through trial and error. That's gonna come through, you, you're not gonna find it out if you don't make any mistakes. So if you think that not making a mistake is where it's at, it's not. Because mm. you actually need to know what the mistake is to avoid it in the future. You know, like one thing I, I had happen was I was, on, I was on a big photo shoot with a major client and I get a call from my agent and my agent said, get your assistants away from the monitor. And I was like, like my agent's obviously not on set and I'm like, what happened like what's going on and the client had called my agent and said that my assistants were around the monitor and that was bothering them that client never called me back again i never got booked by them again for this small thing of my assistants being behind the monitor mm. you have to learn these things and you know after that i had a rule with my assistants you stay with the wardrobe you don't leave the wardrobe area there's only one assistant allowed to leave the wardrobe area and that is my first assistant my first assistant is my right hand. Where I move, she moves. She's literally my shadow. Mm. She doesn't move from my side. If I know that we can't be behind the monitor, I am not behind the monitor so that she's not behind the monitor. You know, mm. and that never happened again. I never got that complaint again. 
you have to make these kind of mistakes and realize these kinds of errors that are going to get you not booked from a client in order to figure out, okay, this is how I'm going to structure my team. This is how we're going to work moving forward. We're going to wear a uniform. We're all going to be in black. We're not going to be distracted by our clothes because we're focusing on our clients. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like these little things actually contribute to the business side of the fashion, yeah. right? And then, yeah. um, and I think a really big thing for me that I, all, that I also realized helped me in terms of brands is brands trust me because I am reliable. I am never late. I have never returned a garment late in 20 years. It is never going to happen under my, I don't ever have to fly a plane out. It's getting back on time yeah. and it's not getting back damaged. And that, for instance, will allow me like, you know, normally when you're pulling from a showroom, they get, they give you a max. You can either pull, you know, 10 items or five looks like there's a max in each showroom. And mm -hmm. I had a client once um, who needed 48 looks in 48 hours. And I was able to go to showrooms and say, listen, like, I know this is not, this is not a thing, but I, I need you and I need you to help me in this moment. And the only reason they gave it to me is because they knew me and they knew it was coming back on time and they trusted me. So it was that relationship that I had with them that was able to get me to get what my client needed, that was able to get me paid, that was able to get me rebooked by that client because I was able to make the impossible possible, right? Yeah. Like these are the business things that they don't sound like it's part of the business because you're not sitting behind a desk, but that's the business. That's our business. You know, it's how do you get the clients to come back? How do you get them what they need and not be over budget? How do you get them what they need and not be over budget is being able to have a relationship with the store or showroom that you're at and being like, I need you to do me a solid. Like I'm going to yeah. hook you up with a cover the next time I have a cover coming up, but I need yeah. you to do me a solid right now. Like it's a negotiation. Yeah. Like, I think more than anything, I think people don't realize how much negotiating is, goes on in styling. It's all a negotiation, all of it. It's negotiating. Yeah. And if you, one of the things that you need to negotiate is power, right? Like you need to give them something. What can you give them? And going into the relationship aspect of things, I feel like that's a very like powerful thing, like you said, in the industry, because you have to network, you have to build relationships to keep progressing. Could you share some insight on how, you know, as an emerging stylist or creative uh, director, how we can cultivate connections and collaborations through our career, you know, with showrooms, with um, brands and stuff like that. So that's very crucial for one's growth. I feel like the market is quite oversaturated right now, like in terms of the sheer number of stylists that are in the business. So where I would go take a, you know, a PR rep out for lunch or out for, you know, a smoothie, that's not a thing anymore because there's just, if everybody did that, then they would just be having lunch all day long. Right. So I think that there's different ways that you have to figure out how to do it. I think one of the most important ways that we've spoken about is be authentic. Do not try to form a connection with somebody and immediately get something out of it. And do not try to form a connection with somebody and just have your end goal in mind. Get to know them. When's your birthday? Do you have kids? Like when, oh my God, do you like play at this playground? Like what school do they go to? And guess what? When they have a birthday, send them a goddamn email. Like, you know, like do these kinds of things. Like, this is what's going to build a relationship with you and that brand. It's not just going to be your followers or any of that stuff. It's going to be the actual relationship that you have yeah. um, that sets you apart. And, and also, by the way, it'll set you apart when 
you're requesting the same dress as some other, you know, stylist and they're deciding who's going to get the dress, that's going to, you know, affect their decision as well. So I think be authentic. Don't try to grab anything the very moment that you try to make the, like just make a connection in the very beginning and then kind of let it grow from there. Mm -hmm. And I think another thing that I used to do, and this isn't so much about a relationship, but this is just kind of about keeping your name in their minds is when I would do an editorial, especially a big editorial for a big magazine, I would usually you send that editorial to all of the showrooms and say, here's the tear magazine, you know, for X, you know, editorial. Um, thank you for your assistance with this and, you know, make sure that they're credited, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. I would send that to showrooms that were not in the editorial because I, you know, and I would, I would make it seem like I didn't know that they were not in the editorial, you know, like I'm sending this to my whole list of contacts. Mm -hmm. And what it does is it shows them, oh wait, she just styled the Harper's Bazaar cover. Hmm. Okay. Noted. And yeah. then when you contact them again, they're going to be like, oh, that's that girl that sell that cover. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like these are the little ways. And then go to every single PR press preview that you're invited to. Till this day, and I mean, I haven't really focused on, I've, I've done editorials, but I haven't focused solely on editorials in a, probably a decade. Like I've been really focused on e-commerce and creative direction for the past decade. I am still on every PR list from a decade ago. I still get every single fashion show invite, the British Fashion Council awards invites, every single fashion event I'm still getting invited to because of the relationships that I built 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And that's, once you're in, you're yeah. in, but you just have yeah. to make sure you get in there. Yeah, Be no, creative, because if everybody's doing the same thing, it's not gonna work. Like, yeah. Be creative, think outside the box. Like. I like what you said about like taking them out for coffee. I don't think people are actually doing that anymore. So that's a good idea. Let me just plug that in just to remind y'all, you can take the PR person for, for coffee. Cause I don't, I don't see that being like people are doing that. Like, that's the first time I've heard of that. Right. So like, no, we would be... actually, we would go for juice press, like the D squared showroom. Um, like I would hang out with him all the time. And like, after I would do my pull and, you know, I would take, you know, I would do my, that's another thing is like, I was really fast with my polls, very noted that I'm not taking up too much of their time. So being really respectful of their time. And that's something that a lot of PR people would always write to me like, oh, you can come by because you're always fast anyway. Like, mm. how do you make their life easier, right? Mm -hmm. And then when I would finish my poll, I'd be like, hey, do you want to go for a smoothie or a press juice? And then we'd go walk and talk and, you know, just shoot the shit. And that's how our relationship was built. And then I, I will guarantee you the very next season, I got a full rack of clothing from that showroom to wear to fashion week, which I didn't previously. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like these are the kind of things that are going to make a difference. Now there are programs at school where you can study fashion styling. And earlier this morning, like I said, I was thinking about, I was like, why is it that people don't go to school for fashion styling, even though it's been offered now? And the answer that I have for myself was like, this is more of like a soulful Thing. Like, I don't know if you can really teach fashion styling. And it goes back to the point you had said earlier about how, you know, 
when I'm when you are thinking about what to create, you're 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 connect making sure your heart is connected to it. And you can only know what's in there, right? So when people try to to teach fashion styling, I'm just like, hmm, interesting. Like how do they even go about it? And is it even really I think that there is something that can be taught. I don't mm. think that a lot of schools are actually going into that. I think what can and should be taught is how do you approach showrooms? How do you get an agent? How do you handle, you know, the, the, the book balancing part of the job? Because that is the biggest part of the job is balancing the books. A lot of people don't know how to manage a hundred thousand dollar budget. And that's, what's going to be the job. How do you spread out a hundred thousand dollars over X amount of looks and make sure that the client gets all of their money back and that you don't somehow owe them any money. Like, how do you do that? That's something that I feel like is missing in schools. Um, and there's a few schools that I, you know, through the books that I have, I've been talking to a lot of schools about actually starting a program, a styling program, and, and really creating it around what I know is needed. And styling, the actual aesthetic part, is not a part of it. So with a program that I'm working on creating um, with one of the colleges in South Africa is, is really going to be focused on how do you, you know, manage the finances part of the job, how do you manage your finances as a freelancer? Because that's, that's another thing that, you know, if you're coming from a corporate world like I did in the beginning, you have to now realize, you know, when you're going into a fashion shoot, clients have 60 days to pay you. They're not going to pay you right when the job is over. That's not happening. You're going to have 60 days where you're not getting paid. What are you doing for finances in that time? Um, you know, making you have a certain amount of time where you have to get all your receipts in for the client and they need to add up. Like, how do you handle that? You know, um, doing your taxes at the end of the year, you know, in, in Germany where I was living before, um, a lot of my accountants didn't understand my job. And so they would add in the, you know, $50,000 wardrobe budget into my salary, which is inappropriate because that's not my salary. That's a wardrobe budget. You know, these kinds of things, you need to know these things mm -hmm. in order to be a successful stylist. This is what's going to make sure that you're making money. Um, it's not how to put a red top with a blue pant. Like, that's not it. Like, that's something that happens in the womb when you're born, you know, that you understand these things. Um, and you either have, and I do believe that you either have it or you don't. I think that it can be grown. It can expand. But I don't think that you can give someone style if they don't already understand it. And it's, again, like a lot of people ask me, like, how did you know that that outfit would work or what made you put those two things together? And I don't know, it's osmosis. It just happens. I don't think about these things. I don't, I don't think about, oh, should I do this or that? Again, it's a feeling and I just let the, I let the feeling sort of, you know, puppet master me and move me around and make things happen. Yeah. When I, you know, you asked me earlier about how I, you know, develop my signature style you know earlier um one of the things that i used to do before i had more control over what i do is i used to put headphones on and i had a rule on set and i know a lot of people probably thought i was crazy but i had a rule that nobody was allowed to talk to me on set i had a rule not for the whole duration of the shoot but just in the beginning when i'm putting the looks together i had my headphones on and again it was the music that i felt was the music that connected me to the looks mm. so you know, if it was rock music, then I would put on rock music. I don't particularly listen to rock music, but this is what sometimes would move mm -hmm. me. Um, and I would use that to get in a zone, to, to play a video in my head, to create a movie in my head so that I could create the looks. 
That was my tool that I used. Once I had, you know, once I was in the zone, I was able to take the headphones off and I could, you know, talk to everybody on set again. But I needed that. I needed that time to not connect with anybody or anything else on set in order to actually create cohesive looks. Yeah. That was just what I needed. And so I think, you know, figure out what you need to make these things happen. F figure out what's going to make you shut on your artistic mind and shut out your, you know, analytical mind. You need the analytical mind after the shoot is mm. done. You need mm. it very badly. Yeah. While the shoot is happening, you need, to, you, need to, you, need, you need to be able to switch on and off a very different set of talents. And that's something that school doesn't ever focus on. Um, and yeah. these are the kinds of things that I think that would be helpful in a styling program, but don't exist currently. The, the finance side is something that, you know, it can be taught, right? And you need that information to be able to, okay, I want to be this big time stylist and work with a lot of different showrooms, designers. And you look at the prices, like, okay, you can't just take that for for granted you have to really sit down i'm like okay let's let's count the cost of how this is going to follow through from beginning to the end i think one of the other things that a lot of people that never gets taught that never gets talked about and that shocks me honestly is insurance mm. like i was insured not for the day very beginning but once i started making money and working with major clients and I had the money to insure my stuff i made sure I was covered because at the end of the day if you lose an item accidentally if you get robbed which can happen you are liable as the stylist if your assistant takes off with everything you know how many times i have hired assistants that i only met the day of them starting work and then i'm like okay now go to the showroom and pick up a half million dollars worth of jewelry <laughs> like, like, yeah i had to be insured and so a lot of people, even established stylists that I know in the business now are still not insured. And I feel like that's something that needs to be talked about a lot more often. You yeah. need to be insured. It is the same type of insurance that you would get if you were renting, for instance, a furnished apartment. Essentially, you need to get things that are not your own mm -hmm. insured. You need to make sure you tell them why and how. So I, I, when I spoke to my insurance company, I said, I need it to be insured even if I'm on a plane flying with the items or if the items are separate from me, I need them to be covered at all times. Yeah. yeah. Nine times out of 10, I had in my possession $3 million worth of items. Wow. Most days, on yeah. most days. I needed to make sure that I was never gonna, you know, have to cough up $3 million out of pocket because something yeah. got lost. Take, you know, I, I never will forget the story I heard of through a photographer that I was working with, one of the stylists that she was working with, they had traveled to Miami for a photo shoot. And I guess somebody found it. Usually when you're doing a photo shoot in a hotel, they'll give you a suite so that you have more space and usually you have a living room where you can have fittings and everything like that. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if it got around that there was a stylist in the hotel or whatever, but someone broke into her hotel suite and stole all of the inventory for the photo shoot. Wow. And so when I heard that, I think it was immediately after I got home from that shoot, I called my insurance company. I was like, I need to be insured now. Yeah. Um, from, from this second, I need insurance. Yeah, now. <laughs> it was my biggest fear and, and nothing you can do about it. It's not her fault, but she is liable. And I can guarantee you the showrooms will not have any sort of understanding with you for your plight or what has happened to you, they don't give a damn about a police report, you will never be able to pull from them again, ever. 
whether yeah. it was your fault or not, you will never be able to pull from them again. No, that's a good point because I personally have never thought about like getting insured. Like for me, the biggest thing was like, okay, you know, pricing, financing, making sure I, I like I manage someone's like budget well, right? But then looking at the insurance part of things, that is like huge. Even the way you've described it, it's like, okay, somebody can give me clothing that's worth millions and I'm liable for that, <laughs> you know? So it's being insured. Guys, don't take this lightly. No, that's huge. <laughs> Yes. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for sharing that. I would like to ask you, like, can you share challenging moments from your career and lessons you have learned from overcoming it? Like how can emerging creative navigate setbacks in a competitive fashion industry, right? I mean, I think that there's been so many different types of challenges, right? Like I remember, I think one of the very early challenges I had in my career was on on that Vogue shoot that I did really early on, it was like 90 something degrees Fahrenheit uh, in Manhattan when we did that shoot. And you know, you tape the bottom of the shoes, you know, for what protection kind of, of the samples. What kind of tape is good? So what, would you, what would you recommend? That, so this is the lesson that we've learned. Let's, let's go into it. There's two types of gaffer tape, right? So you see this one is the shiny type. This is not the type, but this is the type that I used on that day. The difference is this, shiny gaffer tape is really sticky. And so what ended up happening was because it was so hot outside, the gaffer tape melted into the leather of the sole. And when we took off the gaffer tape, it took off the, the last layer of leather on the shoe. Yeah. Now here's the lesson that we've learned. We've learned one, this is not the right gaffer tape. The right gaffer tape is the matte gaffer tape that has no shine to it. It is less sticky and easier to come off. Mm. Another thing, that you can do is first put masking tape on the shoes and then put gaffer tape on the shoes. The more layers of protection you have for the shoe, the better in reality. But this gaffer tape on its own, no. Um, and so the other lesson that I learned um, was also one, how to let people talk to you and how not to let people talk to you. So when I returned those shoes um, to the showroom, Vogue immediately paid for it. Like within a week, Vogue had paid them back for the sample because that's what happens, right? Um, but before Vogue paid them back and even after Vogue paid them back, I got a couple of nasty emails from that showroom accusing me of having worn the shoes out to a party, accusing me, saying things like, these don't look like they were just worn for a photo shoot, blah, 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 blah. Now, most people that know me or even know of me that I have a pretty extensive shoe collection, which is also insured. I'm not a jewelry girl. I'm a shoe girl. I have shoes that were only made for the runway that do not exist in retail. I've had shoes custom made for me from Manolo Blahnik. I've had shoes custom made from Chanel. I don't need to wear samples anywhere. And so when she said that to me, and again, she continued this even after they were paid for by Vogue. I realized this was inappropriate the way she was speaking to me. Yeah. And I actually never pulled from that showroom ever again. That showroom emailed me on a monthly basis, inviting me to press previews to fashion. And I mean, the showroom had, you know, 30 brands. So they would email me separately for all of the different brands. 
separately from different PR girls. And every single time they did, I didn't ignore them. I replied to them. Mm. And I said, because this person, and I put her full name in there, was so nasty to me. I will never come to your showroom again. And at one point, the owner of the showroom, the namesake of the showroom called me and he was like, I apologize. What mm. can we do to get you back in the showroom? And I said, is she still there? And he said, yes, yeah, she's still here. And I said, it's not gonna happen. I was so offended at the implication and the tone that she took with me that I never ever went back to that showroom again, no matter what they did. Yeah. And at this point, at some point, I'm sure she left or whatever. I'm sure she wasn't there anymore, but I actually never went back to that showroom ever, wow. ever again. I love your strength. I, cause some people will be like, uh, let me, let me just overlook it. You know, it's just that one, but you were like, nope, I am not because going this back. This is another lesson that I think I learned in that moment and why I was mm. able to go back at her that way. A lot of people, including stylists think we need the designer Thanks. we uh, need the showroom mm -hmm. but the reality is we need each other yeah. they need the press that's their job they have no other job is to get the press and i need the clothing yeah we need each other yeah i said that exact same thing happened to me tasha that they accused me of not returning an item and then they found it in their showroom later that's another big thing that they do and i have to tell you what i ended up doing um really early on is I take photos of my, or my, my, my assistants take photos while they're unpacking everything. So while they unpack, they take pictures of the things that while they're still in the bags. And then once they unpack everything, they take everything laid out, including accessories, one big shot for the showroom. Mm -hmm. And I have to tell you, one of the times that the showrooms accused me of not returning an item, and I said to her, you know, I never, I never received that item. And she says, no, we definitely gave it to you. And I, and I sent her the pictures of unpacking and she said to me this is a massive help thank you so much this is nobody ever does this and mm -hmm. she said this actually helps me to know that we didn't send it to you i'm so sorry she apologized and then she emailed me you know a week later and she said i'm so sorry we did find the shoe it was still in the showroom it was never packed it was supposed to be we apologize and i, I work with them still like i have no issues with them because she was very gracious and she apologized but you know you got to cover your back in the, in this business. Right. Like people will try to, again, another reason to be in short, yeah. people will try to blame you for things that did not happen. It's, it's a massive, this working in this business is a massive lesson in, in a lot of things. The biggest thing for me that I've learned here is get that insurance girl, because you, you need it. You need it. Cause you can always have the, the creative side is of a part of you. But the business side is something that you have to quickly get a grasp of, right? Which is like, okay, no, I, I appreciate that. I would like to ask, so you, we know that the fashion industry is constantly evolving and changing. Like, how do you keep yourself updated with emerging trends and innovation? Like, what resources or platforms would you recommend to young creatives to stay ahead in the fast-paced industry? Because I know before you said, you know, you're not really a big Instagram girl or Pinterest or TikTok. So what works for you? How do you stay ahead of, ahead of the game? So firstly, my, the only thing that I do on Instagram is follow my job, fashion. That's the only thing that I do. So there's a lot of people in here that I know and I've met that I don't follow. And sometimes people get upset. And the reality is I don't follow you if you can't help me in my business. I follow brands, 
I follow news outlets who follow fashion. I follow WWD, the business of fashion. Yeah. I follow new brands that I want to keep an eye out on. Um, this is what my Instagram is for. This is not a personal Instagram platform where you're going to find out about my personal life. It's not going to happen. This is a work platform and I use it as a really amazing, it's a Instagram is an amazing tool for fashion stylists and fashion creatives because it's, you know, I have folders, for instance, uh, in my Instagram folders, I have a folder for every country and I say brands. I say I have another folder for photographers by country because I work in many different countries. Um, I have other folders for inspiration images uh, for creative direction inspiration for lighting inspiration for color grading inspiration for retouching um and i that's what i use instagram for that's mm. the tool that i use it for um and i and i save everything to a folder so that when i need to go back and i and i am looking for for instance you know, how do I tell my retoucher how I want the color grading to be? And then I'll go back into my color grading folder and I'll say, this is the color grading that I need you to make it. You know, yeah. um, when I, when I want to look for, if I know I have a photo shoot in, in Paris and I, I want to look up, oh, who's, who, what photographers do I like in Paris that I've seen that have popped out to me lately? I'll always save them. And then I'll look through my Paris folder and I'll say, oh, I really like this photographer. And then I'll reach out to them from there. That's what I use Instagram for. I don't use it for following dances and stuff like that. Um, and the same for TikTok. I have a TikTok and I use it for the same exact reason. I follow a lot of brand resources. I follow creative directors. I follow um, art directors. I follow a lot of photographers. I, I think that's the bulk of people that I follow on and either platform as photographers. I, I follow people that talk about the business of fashion like show studio. Um, a lot of the things that I consume on a daily basis is the business side of fashion. Why mm -hmm. is Farfetch, you know, failing currently? Why is Farfetch about to purchase half of YNAP, Netterporter? Mm -hmm. These are the mm -hmm. facts that I consume on a daily basis that I let sort of, you know, that, that, I, that I talk to people with in my circle. Um, yeah. These are the things that will keep you up to date on the trends, you know, following WWD, following business fashion, and then moreover, following the fashion weeks. So I follow yeah. all of the fashion weeks, Copenhagen, fashion, um, Paris, New York, but also South Africa, mm -hmm. China, mm -hmm. Shanghai, all of these additional fashion weeks are really important too. Yeah. And if you can't attend them, then follow them online. As I said to you before, once you're on these PR people's radar, um, they usually send me a recap after every show. So, um, for instance, I shared, I shared some of them this season on, um, Instagram because I, I didn't realize that everybody doesn't see these recaps, but like mm -hmm. Dries Van Noten sent me a recap of the show where they send you all of the images and then they send you the press release for the show. And when I posted it, a lot of people wrote me back. They were like, oh my God, this explains the show so much better than anything I found online. And I didn't realize actually that that information wasn't available online. Yeah. Um, so I started sharing them because it's not a secret. These, these information, they're not a secret, but they do um, explain the origin of the fashion show, the reasoning, um, the inspiration, uh, tools used, materials used. Then they give the full credits for who styled it, hair, makeup, music, etc. cetera. Um, and that 
is the biggest tool that I have actually is, yeah. you know, when I get those emails after the shows, I go through every single one of them. I definitely don't reply to all of them, but I definitely yeah. go through every single one of them. Um, and I try to keep up with that in particular. I will say it's really tiring, you know, keeping up with it. It's, it's, it's not always fun. I'm not going to lie to you and say that that's always like fun, especially since fashion month is not really even a month anymore. It's like two months or three months at this point. Um, and, and, you know, you're going into these every single day, looking at runway after runway, even when you don't like the show and you mm. still have to go through every single look because you need to know what's out there and you need to know what the trends are. That's what I do. Yeah. That's a yeah. part of this job that I feel like a lot of people, again, don't talk about is even when you don't like the show, you still have to watch the whole show because you need to know what trends are out there and you need to know, you know, what's coming. Um, and if it's something that you should, whether you like it or not, start to follow. Yeah. Um, I think that is how you stay up to date on trends. That's also one of the reasons why I really like LinkedIn. I think that's even how I found your, found you actually was through LinkedIn and all the amazing information you would share on there about the industry that I felt like I could not get on Instagram or any other platform, right? I would say LinkedIn is another great tool where you find a lot of well-educated people, experts in the industry who are, you know, releasing new reports, new ideas, yeah. new content. And it's just like, wait. There's a lot of really good lives on LinkedIn. Yes. By, yes. Like Vogue Business does lives once a week, I think they do them. And they're yeah. really good. And they talk about the business of fashion. Yeah. And that's something that I, I join a lot. Um, there's a few different um, forums on LinkedIn that I, that I tend to join in when they, when they talk. I think LinkedIn has become like this other social platform that is cringe, but also um, you get a lot of information out of it. So, I mean, yeah. do it the way you will. Yeah. Uh, I, I do think more people, if you're, again, looking for the business of fashion should also look at, look, towards LinkedIn for the business. I'm not sitting, I'm not saying, you know, sit there, scroll through LinkedIn all day, every day. Um, but it's definitely, it's got some value. No, I agree. I, I've been telling a lot of my like fellow creative friends that you should, you know, really take your account seriously because and they, even though there's information that you can get there, there's people that you would meet that you actually can like talk to if they're willing to talk to you. I'm just like, Hey, can I talk to you about this? Blah, blah, blah. That's literally how I was able to meet you. Was just sending you a message like, hey, I think you're cool. Like, I'd love to meet with you and just have a conversation. Because I feel like with Instagram, it's a place where, like, you know, you just see a lot of, like, beautiful things. You admire it, blah, blah, blah. But, like, you can't really, it's not really a space where you can really, like, connect like that you can okay great call you can reshare comment but i feel like with linkedin like people are actually having like full-blown conversations under like a post right and that's one thing i really like about that space i know it, sometimes it can be very like pretentious and stuff like that but it still has its value and yeah i really appreciate that perspective that you have giving i would like to wrap it up with this last question what message or piece of wisdom would you like to share with our listeners, whether they are fashion influencers, like aspiring stylists or creatives, um, creative directors in the industry? Like, what do you wish you had known perhaps when you were starting off? Just be true to yourself, I think. I think that, you know, the more true to yourself that you are and the less you even think about anybody else, an audience, what's going to sell, what other people like, the more the closer you'll get to like 
who you really are. I, I don't think I knew who I really was or even knew what my really my style was when I first started out in this business. And again, through shedding layers of what other people have placed on me and you know, even, even my, my mom, you know, a lot of us have our mom's style sort of, you know, bullied into our heads. And, you know, I needed to sort of shed that to really figure out who I am as an artist, because that's not who I am as a person. Those are two different people. Mm -hmm. um, and also to understand that, that there's two different people. And that's okay. Sometimes I'm rock and roll. Sometimes I'm a little hip hop. And sometimes I am, you know, a fashion head who will walk out with, you know, really big shoulders and, you know, platforms out to here. It, it just really depends on the day. And to know that that's okay. You don't have to be what everybody expects you to be all the time. Thank you so much, Biagi, for this conversation. Like, this was such a beautiful, authentic, and freeing conversation to have. I learned so much, and I know the people listening, engaging with us, have learned a lot as well. So, like, Thank you so much for your time, for coming on here, sharing all your wisdom, your experiences, and a way forward, right? Because I feel like in this industry, like we get, a lot of us sometimes get stuck, like, okay, I'm here in this point, what's the next step? What's the direction? How can I continue to move forward? And instead of like, you know, seeking out ways to keep driving, it's, it's like they hit this barrier. And I feel like this conversation right now, like people can constantly go back and listen and listen and say, oh wow, okay, this is a reminder for me to not stop. I need to keep going. Here's a tip. I remember she mentioned this or that and let me try to apply it, right? So I really appreciate it. And y'all, if you guys want to have one-on-one -on -one meetings with Bia, she does take you know clients now any stylist and you guys want to talk with her or learn more about specific things please reach out to her dm her she has a website <laughs> thank you so much for having yes. me and i'm yes. so glad that i could impart any wisdom again you know i i'm paying it forward because i i have the information to give and i don't believe in gatekeeping and um again i you know i wish that i had someone to give me these tools when I was coming up in this business, it would have saved me a lot of time. Yes. So I'm happy to pass it on and pass it forward. And this is my legacy. I have no interest in children. So guys, you are my legacy. So like, make me proud. We'll draw a best. Y'all heard that? <laughs> That's a big thing. I love that. So thank you all for engaging with us. Um, this is Sunday Refocus, where we embark on a journey to empower your growth as an emerging creative in the fashion industry. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. And please take every advice that, that was shared here and to propel you forward, right? So we encourage you to take action with the, the messages and tools. And later on, we will provide resources based on what Bihaji has mentioned today. That way you guys can really take on, keep going. So remember together, we can create a powerful supportive network for all emerging artists. We're here for you. And again, I am your host, Nifemi Ashani, the founder and CEO of Style by Nif. And it has been an immense pleasure guiding you through another episode of Sunday Refocus. Stay motivated, stay focused, and together let's continue to redefine the future of the fashion industry.